0: Morning, everyone. Um, looks like we've got enough new faces that I should probably mention. I record these meetings, um, and in principle, put them up for podcasts. Although I've been really lax about that. Um, so, if you have something to say that you don't want on the podcast, just tell me, and I will, uh, I will stop recording while you're talking, and then start it back up again when you're done. Hopefully. trying to see if there's anything i need to do but i think we're good uh so does anybody want to start off does anybody have anything exciting to talk about
1: how are you doing airbender ang <laughs> <laughs> um oh me i'm i'm doing well yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing well i got i got a new job three weeks ago and so i finished huh. my third week and Yeah, it's going well. um, You know, still still practicing. um, Meditation, I do. I do it in the morning before going off to work, and going well. Great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The first time that Gilbert came on, there was another guy who came on who. Kind of looked like the character in the in the actual anime, and okay. uh, and so it was like this weird dissonance that, that Gilbert was Airbender Aang, but there was this other guy who
1: looked like Airbender Aang who wasn't. But yeah,
0: we haven't seen him. Well, yet,
1: so. I think there was some person who even had like Aang as their. We've had someone with Aang in their name, right? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and so it just. But yeah, that's that's who I am. Um yep. Well, I and mean, I, I go by it because, you I know, mean, I'd rather people talk, say my actual name. If they're they're looking at me and talking to me than, right? You know, I seems like I guess, with you, right? It's like it's, yeah. it's Ted.
0: And... Yeah, I don't go by a Bayekara on the uh, on the Zoom. That would be
2: weird. Uh so so that's how you pronounce your uh, Reddit handle.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's Sanskrit. So so actually I'm probably not pronouncing it exactly right, but that's pretty close. he has got some
3: fun. No. Right
2: there. Uh, what's that? <laughs> I figured out how to change my name.
0: All right. <laughs> well done. Oh, so we've got a lot of uh, familiar faces here. And then and then Scott, that's a really great Reddit handle.
3: I was just gonna say. Ted, do you know what abhayakara means? I'm curious.
0: Uh, so abaya means uh, without fear, and abhayakara is uh, I think either a person who's without fear or a person who's trying to be without fear. I can't. I'm not quite sure. Um, and it refers to the uh, the state of uh, being sort of past. And by the way, this is a name that was given to me by, by my Tibetan Lama like 15 years ago, so it's not anything new. But um, it means that you it means that you're at a point where uh, when something fearsome comes up, your natural instinct is to turn towards it instead of away from it. So it's like that scene in The Matrix at the end when uh, that's like one of my favorite scenes in The Matrix when like. Uh, for those of you who've seen it, when uh, Neo and, and Agent Smith are facing off in the corridor after Neo has, has like decided that he's not dead after all. And he looks at, at, uh, at, at Agent Smith and Agent Smith looks at him and Agent Smith tries to attack him and, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. And then, and then Agent Smith runs. And that's like, that's like what a buy a car is about. That's what that name is about. So, Now, it's not like, you know, being a big jerk who's fearless. It's about, it's about being fearless because, because you've actually seen through fear. So anyway, that's the theory. And uh, wow, so we've got like a lot of new faces today. This is awesome. So uh, so I guess one thing I will say is that the way that this works is it's not a, it's not a presentation where I talk about meditation for the, for the whole, you know, hour, hour and a half. We usually go about to 1130 my time. And so, what it is is people just talk about their practice and like issues that they're having in their practice. If nobody uh, talks, then I just like point at people and suggest that they talk. But uh, if you came here with some burning issue that you'd like to talk about, then then uh, that's what we're here for. So you should definitely bring it up.
3: Well, I have something. All right. Hesitant. I'm hesitant, but I do have this question. Go for it. I was on the Chuladasa. Patreon uh, presentation yesterday and he talked about the possibility of there being stealth stream entry. In other words, you don't realize you've become a stream entrant. Yes. Um, And my understanding is that the fetters that are released at stream entry have to do with uh, letting go of the conceptual idea of the self um, getting over doubt, and letting go of ritual. Is that right? right.
0: So uh, you, you probably know that I hang out with Jeffrey Martin sometimes. And, and I, I I talked with Jeffrey about the about the 10 fetters model at one point. And I, the, I made the assertion that the 10 fetters model was very clear and that everybody agreed on what it meant. Um, and Jeffrey laughed at me. And he, he then told me the story of having spent uh, a month in Southeast Asia interviewing uh, awakened uh, Theravadan teachers and having each one of them explain the 10 fetters to him differently. Like, not just differently, like a little bit subtly different, but differently, like means something different. Yeah, so, okay. uh, which is not to discourage you. It's actually a really useful model. It's just that you've got to understand that it's pointing at something that is non-conceptual. And so, uh, so when you hear a really precise definition of what one of the fetters is, the one thing you can be certain of is that it's incorrect.
3: Or that somebody disagrees with it.
0: Right. Well, Well, not only that somebody disagrees with it, but even the person who said it, if they were to hear somebody else say it to them, would also probably disagree with it.
3: Oh, so they're trying to put something non-conceptual in conceptual terms.
0: Yes. So, okay. um, so I can tell you what I think the the first three fetters are, um, and it might help you. But
3: my real <laughs> question is, how do you diagnose stealth stream entry?
0: Ah, well. So, um, so the way that uh, that I think you diagnose it is, uh, if you are if you haven't had stream entry, then um, Typically, you're going to be experiencing life as, as kind of problematic, like there's something wrong. You don't know what it is. You don't know how to fix it, but it's wrong. Um, and it's not always at the surface, right? Sometimes this is going on, but you're just going about your life. You're not really worried about it. But there's always like this subtle feeling that there's like something wrong. And sometimes that subtle feeling, if things, if things get quiet, that subtle feeling can be quite loud. And also if things are going wrong in your life, that subtle feeling is completely unsubtle. Um, after stream entry, uh, it seems to be the case that although you can still feel anxiety and you can still um, even feel existential anxiety, uh, it's less likely. And, and when you do feel it, it doesn't feel like it's like an, uh, a deep problem. It more feels like it's um, you know something that you're noticing like just a a thing that you're noticing. It's not like a basic fundamental flaw in in the nature of reality, it's just like a thing you're noticing. Um, So my experience, and you know, I sort of, I believe that I've had stream entry, but um, you know, the the models are so weird that it's like really hard to definitively say. Uh, But My experience uh, was uh, that I think the thing that for me was most blatant, was that I went from basically being um, pretty easy to trigger to being pretty hard to trigger. Um, And it didn't mean that I couldn't be triggered. It didn't mean that there weren't things that would trigger me really easily. But the number of things that would trigger me really easily went down by a whole lot. And what characterized the things that don't trigger me easily anymore is that they all have to do with, like, at one point I described it as like this little, like, Uh, voodoo doll that that like I thought was me and when somebody stuck a pin in that voodoo doll I would react I would defend the voodoo doll and then after the thing that I that I label stream entry um, the voodoo doll was still there I could still tell if somebody stuck a pin in it but I didn't feel any need to defend it anymore Um, it was just like a voodoo doll and so it was like oh somebody stuck a pin in the voodoo doll ouch Um, okay next thing, right? And so that was, to me, that was what changed that was obvious. But when I'm diagnosing someone else, what really helps me is to see, is to have known them beforehand, to have seen what their face was like, to have gotten to know the way their face was beforehand, and then see them afterwards. And you can see it in their face. And it's like, I think if you ask Chula Dasa, he'd say the same thing. You can see that there's something that's, that's fundamentally relaxed about them that wasn't relaxed before. Um, so but how do you personally diagnose your own stream entry or non-stream entry? Um, it's it's you know it's funny because so the fetter of doubt like does seem to drop, right? And and the, the the sense in which it dropped for me was it was really clear to me after this happened that Dharma really does work. I still don't know whether there is such a thing as like a totally enlightened being who lives forever in a Buddha realm. I still don't know if there are past and future lives. I still don't know if, if, um, you know, uh, karma works. Uh, it's very clear to me what karma is useful for, like very, very clear. I know exactly why the teaching in karma is so useful, but I don't know if karma actually works. I just know that the teaching is useful. And so it's that sense for me in which doubt dropped. It's not the sense, it's not that I became omniscient and knew everything about the path and knew that it was all correct. It's just that it became obvious to me that the the stuff that people were talking about was real and it wasn't just just nonsense. You see what I mean? Yep. So so I actually think the 10 fetters model is really useful for diagnosing stream entry, but uh, you have to be a little bit creative about how you use the, the, the descriptions because everybody's descriptions are different. Um, and then, sorry, do you want to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go
3: ahead. And
0: then I'll ask my other question. Oh, yeah. So, and then, um,
3: what was I going to say? I've actually spaced out all I was going to say. So why don't you go ahead and ask your other question? Okay. The other question is, does it really matter? I mean, the point is, uh, the of suffering, right? Yeah.
0: So, uh, so I claim that it matters. That's just a claim. I'm not saying it's true. That's just what I claim. The reason I claim it matters is because, for me at least, it changed what I did in my practice. Um, A whole bunch of practices that I had been taught in Tibetan Buddhism suddenly made sense to me. I suddenly understood what they were for and how they worked. Um, Whereas beforehand, I had been taught those practices, and I could see that it made sense that somebody would do that, but I didn't know how to do it or if I did know how to do it, I didn't know how to do it in a way that would actually make any difference. Um, and so, yeah, so, so I guess it's not so much that I knew that I was a screen mentor, and therefore it was time to do those practices, but rather when this change occurred in me, suddenly a whole bunch of practices became possible to do that hadn't really been possible to do beforehand.
2: Cool. So, so what type of practices were those like Mahamudra? Uh,
0: No, actually it wasn't, it wasn't deep meditation practices. It was just the opposite. It was like all of these mindfulness practices that I've been told about. And like, I just wasn't mindful enough to do them. And then suddenly like I was mindful enough to do them suddenly like, you know, so, so I remember my Tibetan Lama describing the process of um, overcoming uh, negative emotions. Right. And he was teaching this to a class of people, none of whom had ever had stream entry or even really thinking of it as a possibility for the short term. Um, but he's a stream enterer. And so from his perspective, it made total sense. And I was sitting there listening to it and the teaching is basically like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to develop this habit of checking in on a regular basis, um, to notice if you have, uh, if you've had any mental afflictions, like any any kind of negative emotions that that motivated negative behavior that you regret over the last, say, two hours, and then when you notice that, um, just make a note of it and, like, you know, do some kind of purification activity or whatever. But but basically, make a note of it. But but get to the point where you start noticing that stuff really quickly, um, and then get to the point where you notice before it actually happens. And then when you notice before it actually happens, don't do it. Um, and I mean, I mean I'm, I'm oversimplifying the explanation because we don't have time to go through like the hour and a half that he spent teaching this. But, but basically, that's the that's the idea. And what I found, when I tried to put that into practice, was no matter how, and I did this assiduously for several years, and it was great. It actually was transformative. It was a useful practice for me to do before stream entry. But what it didn't do, I never got to the point where I actually saw the negative emotion before. It triggered the reaction that never happened. Um, it wasn't. I, I really did get a lot better, but I never really, I never really got to that point where I felt like, "Wow, this is this practice is really actually eliminating negative emotions in my mental continuum." Um, and that was what he promised. And of course, he was promising it from the perspective of someone who could actually do that. And so, of course, it made sense to him, and, and it was still a valuable teaching, but that's what I mean when I say after stream entry. Suddenly, it was like, oh, I can actually do this. This actually works. So, uh, so did that answer your question? I mean, I, I could probably come up with some more, like, like a whole bunch of the ta- tantric practices now make sense, but those it are helps. hard to talk about.
3: It helps. But, uh, so would being able to do that be diagnostic of stream entry?
0: Uh, it's certainly a pretty strong indication, yeah. Okay. Rodrigo has been raising his hand for a while. Did you want to ch- chime in on this?
4: Yeah, I had something to say, but then you said it yourself, but now I have something else. All right. Uh, <laughs> I think one, one of the things that that uh, can uh, – I'm not saying uh, I'm, I'm self-diagnosed, uh, but one of the things I have noticed during uh, – well, doing different events in my meditation practice, is that sometimes I read a text and I understand it cognitively, but it makes sense for for, us, for the time. And afterwards, I can come back to that text and now I can see why that person chose those words to describe what they were describing. And whenever I get that feeling of oh, now I can see why they are saying this like they are saying this, then I know that I've, I've, I've got some insight that I didn't have previously. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Mert asked if I still have mental suffering. Um, and uh, the answer is, why, yes, I am not an Arhat. <laughs> so yes, I still have mental suffering. Uh, and Jeff asked, uh, would you say that some voodoo, tall, voodoo doll, pins are more painful than others? Yes. Uh, so if you look at the 10 fetters model, you can see that it makes sense that there would be some pins that would be more effective than others, right? Some of them are going to work better than others at getting you. So one of the things that I noticed early on was like somebody cut me off in traffic and my reaction to it was just functional. It was like, Oh, somebody cut me off in traffic. Ouch. This is scary. Oh, the scary thing is over. Okay. I'm done. And that was the end of it. Whereas before, I probably would have had like some story about what an asshole that person was and how they weren't driving carefully and whatever. And, and, and I probably also would have had a story about how I had been doing the right thing. Like all of these stories. And those cause a lot of mental suffering. So I had, those, those dropped very early. But um, one of the things I noticed is that social modeling stories did not drop that quickly. So like that person that I am working with uh, is this way, Right that person that I am working with thinks this about me. I need to do this because I need to deal with the fact that that person is thinking this about me. I need to do this because I need to be careful about how that person sees me. Those kinds of of, uh, voodoo doll pins are very powerful and a lot harder to let go of than that guy cut me off in traffic pins.
1: So, Gilbert. Gilbert well and as you're talking um you know i don't know how many of you guys know of sort of sam harris and um he's someone who's also had stream entry right and and he had his book waking up and um yeah a lot different people uh they they, when they talk about stream entry yeah they talk about those three fetters dropping and to me when i hear it i was like yeah no there's a there's a uh a pattern right and there's a a sense that it's all kind of the same I very much agree with that the whole um, I never thought of using the word voodoo doll but but yeah there was like a I can use that metaphor and I think it's very accurate uh, a sense like you had this voodoo voodoo doll that you had to defend at all costs and you were like kind of constantly defending it trying to like add on to it and and then with stream entry it just kind of you see that it it, it like, it's it seriously like dropped in a sense. I mean, it doesn't mean like the voodoo doll is completely gone, but like yeah. you saw through it. And, um, and so hence it de- never has the exact same hold on you. It's like, Oh wait. Yeah. It's just, you know, yeah, someone insults doll. me. That's just some words. Right. I don't have to worry about, you know, if I don't defend myself in that instance, like there's, I'm letting that define me. Right. Like there's, there's that, that actions and that just drops. but anyway i brought up sam harris because i think he, he does a really good job of sort of describing it um although the thing that that's a little bit i think too bad about sam harris i think is he doesn't uh for him his big thing was actually i think stream entry and he i don't think he recognizes that and so then he uses the language like oh you know you can always access it which is kind of which is true i mean you could have stream entry at any time but he doesn't this, yeah, he doesn't seem to realize that like, yeah, no, there was like this, this jump that he experienced, right? The jump, which yeah. was stream entry. And then he had this whole thing like, oh, yeah, you know, Vipassana is not good because it didn't get me stream entry. But uh, what was, it? I think it was Zoke, Zoke Chen or something. Zoke Chen got me stream entry. And so, yeah. yeah, that's the real deal. And it's like, well, uh, I, I don't think so. Just because that, that's the way it worked for you. I mean, it's clear that uh, people doing all sorts of other practices that got them stream entry. Um,
0: yeah, you know, so you're talking about Waking Up, the book? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that Andrea and I uh, listened to that book in the car, I think about three or four months before we did the Finders course, and it was really inspiring for us, but I had exactly the same reaction that you did, that like, huh. But I, I didn't actually hear him saying, this is the only one that works. I kind of more heard him saying, this is the one that really worked well for me. You should try it because it worked well for me. But he also mentioned Headless Way and some other neat stuff and i don't think i don't remember him totally dissing vipassana i think that he um just said it didn't work for him
1: so yeah he doesn't totally diss it but he um he kind of says that yeah no the way vipassana it's it's inferior right yeah um or there's a common trap that people get into with vipassana um and he's just i don't know he's just talking about a common trap that People get because they're people and the way that their mind works yeah. right like, how, how do you break out of uh you know a, a limiting kind of belief that's like so pervasive I mean that's yeah. kind of what he's trying to get at and it's like well it you know there's some some shift ha- has to happen and um, but yeah I mean he, in his podcast the he's got a bunch of debates with uh, joseph goldstein and and they're going over this one thing and <sighs> He's got a little bit of a bone sort of to, to who's was it, an ax to grind, right? I had a bone to pick uh, with that, about that one point that, yeah, Vipassana, uh, there's, there's something kind of inferior to it.
0: Huh, he's quite a character.
1: Yeah, uh, he is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was a good book anyway. It def- definitely, definitely had, the, had the intended effect, because I think his intended effect was basically to get you to, to believe that you could do it. Um, so uh, I'm gonna answer a couple questions from the chat, If I can, Um, you want to? Yeah,
5: go ahead. So I'd like to, um, so this might be a different perspective than you have, but um, there's a, uh, there's no question. There's like, there's no, there's no question in your mind after stream entry, what is the path and what is not the path? Karma is a fact of how reality works. That's just the way it is, okay? And there is no past lives. These, these things are not like, oh, I don't know if I believe in them. Those are actual direct insights. Like that, I, I don't know how you can say that I don't know if karma works. Like, I don't know what you, I don't know what you mean by that. There are different definitions of karma and different yeah. traditions.
0: Yeah, bear in mind that I'm coming from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and a particular explanation of it. So, so what you mean by karma might not be what I mean by
5: karma. Okay, that's a fair thing to say, but I think it's not, first of all, I don't think it's useful to uh, to intimate that uh, the definition of stream entry is uh, so so um, undefined, as you say, um, It's either we should not talk about it at all, or we should say, this is stream entry, and be very clear on what we're talking about, because it's a Buddhist term. It's a Buddhist term, and non-Buddhist practices are not going to... I mean, I just have a problem with diluting definitions uh-huh. And not being clear on what the exact, what the actual insight that, that attainment actually um, implies. Like there's a, there's a resoluteness of you know how the how suffering works. You know suffering, and you know the end of suffering. Uh-huh. It's not a question in your mind, and it's not. I'm not saying anything about anybody else, but as far as I'm concerned. There is a very clear path on how to end suffering. And there's no question about this. And this isn't something that you need to be told. For stream entry, you know. You don't need you don't need advice on meditation. You know where to look for suffering, why it comes about, and how to end it. And I mean I'm just. am getting pretty passionate about this because maybe it's because that's, you said I don't know about karma and I don't know about past lives and those two things are very clear to me. There's no such thing as a reincarnation. Um, mm-hmm. Me to be reincarnated. This is not really something that I'm. Like, questioning. It's not something that's like. Hey, hey, so Sam. So sorry, so yeah. Do you like,
2: like, what's what's um? So I assume if you had stream entry like what's your practice like because i think ted has a very different practice
5: so my practice is um well my meditation practice i do a lot of different insight practices depending on what tmi stage i'm at but um the main focus of my practice right now is craving uh seeing craving and seeing karma arising from intentions based on unwholesome and wholesome intentions See, craving comes into. That's how you end suffering. Is you observe craving. There's no question about this. Like I don't know why this is something that has to be explained. Like so in such a like fluffy way. It's like it's very simple. Like after stream entry, it's it's very very simple. Okay, this is a practice. To end suffering. And it's very simple how that comes about. The four truths are very, very deeply ingrained in your mind. So there's no question about what we're doing here. After stream entry, you know what to do in meditation. You know what craving is, you know what aversion is. You have a, uh, you're steering your own practice. Um, So I I still do by the book TMI. But I mean, at a certain point, it starts steering itself. That's why they call it stream entry, because you've got these uh, insights that are very obvious and clear, and they point the way forward. Um, So I mean, my practice at this point is mostly um, concentration based. I do um as if I can get into them. Sometimes I can't, sometimes I can, but most of the time I can. And then I do insight practice. Uh, I do meditation on the mind and I do realizing the witness. Um, it's not about the practice. It's not about the technique. Um, yeah. So Sorry, I don't want
2: to hijack this though. I mean, this is Ted's call, but um, I'm just wondering like, uh, did I mean, I, I'm not there, gonna
5: like sit like, uh, back and pretend that like um, I agree with some of the things Ted said because I I do. Uh, and
2: so I just mean like uh, like I was in practice, I was more like, "What got you there? Is there an experience that like got you there?" And I wonder if that's just the difference between like some people have soft landings, and some people have like one like huge moment that they recall
5: and stuff like that. Um. So I did a lot of meta practice um, before uh, stream entry, and uh, that was what uh, was what causes and conditions for stream entry to occur. And there was a insight doing meditation on the mind that uh, everything that we observe is a process of the mind. Everything is the mind. And after that insight, there was uh, Magapala, the cessation fruition. Um, these things were all very clear, and they were very obvious, self-evident, no question about it. Insights as to like that is the way it is, like no question in my mind whatsoever. Um, so once, I mean. It's like you know, that you, you know that this self thing is a hat that you put on because um, you've seen it go away, literally. Like, everybody, like, the, the typical conditioning is this, this, I mean, it's an unconscious thing, and we can intellectually know that the self is uh, an illusion. But when you see it disappear and see directly that it's impermanent, that erases any doubt in your mind as to whether there's a self. Like, it's impossible to believe in a soul or a self or something that carries on after my death, because there's no such thing as me to begin with. So, Sam,
3: can I ask a question? Uh, What I hear you saying is that The fetter that's cut its stream entry is not the conceptual belief in the self but the actual experience of the self is that right
5: well so i believe that it requires a very clear direct experience and based on that clear direct obvious experience um, it becomes impossible to believe in the Illusion of the self, although it may still arise, uh, you know you see through it. So, um, I guess you could define that. You could you could consider that a conceptual um, knowledge of no self. But you could all like it, we have to be clear about what we're talking about here, because an in, in intellectual knowledge of no self is you don't like that's not the same. That's not that's the same seeing it. And that's why we're practicing. We're practicing so we can directly experience um, these truths. And right. So,
3: well, I'm trying well, to understand something I heard yesterday that Chuladasa said, that there can be experiences of stream entry that the person doesn't realize at the time.
5: Yeah, I mean, and I, I know somebody who I'm certain had stream entry. She didn't have a dramatic experience, but there was a few days where she had very clear, direct insight into the noble truths and suffering, and it's very clear to me that she had stream entry, and it's very clear to her also, and it's not something like, I'm, I'm not sure if I buy into the notion that it could happen so gradually and that you really wouldn't notice what's going on, because it's such a clear and obvious paradigm shift in the way you see the world that it's, it's impossible to it, it, i just Sam, can i can i point something out to you i mean i might be yes, yes yeah yeah
0: you're you're kind of arguing about uh semantics here and i think that you think that you're arguing about uh internal experience uh, or that is to say, you're not the one who's arguing, but the argument here is actually about semantics and not about internal experience. Everything that you've described is something that, that, that resonates for me. But the, the language that I use to talk about it is different than the language that you're using to talk about it. Right. Um, and so, for example, uh, you know, the, the idea. So, so what you said about past and future lives, right? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how it seems to me. The difference in the way that I look at it is that I have had enough people who I think have had uh, powerful insight experiences say different things about that to me, that even though it seems that way to me, I don't feel comfortable in asserting that the way I see it is correct. <laughs> and and so that's that's... And that doesn't mean that it doesn't feel correct to me. That doesn't mean that that I wouldn't be tempted to say exactly what you said. It's just that um, I've had an, I've had enough of the things that I believe to certainly be true turn out to be false that I don't feel comfortable um, making assertions like that anymore. And uh, I think also one of the things that plays into this um, this sort of experience is if you have a really strong intellectual understanding of no self, if you have a really strong intellectual understanding of emptiness and the various other insights, it's actually a bit problematic because when you have the insight itself, your mental attitude doesn't change that much. All it really changes is your experience. So like I had been studying emptiness really intensely for 15 years before I had any kind of experience of insight, you know, before I had what I'm calling stream entry. So when I say when I express, you know, uncertainty about whether what I'm pointing at is stream entry or not. The reason why I say that is because um, I have heard enough definitions of stream entry that are extremely precise and exclude things that that actually to me appear to be stream entry that um, I Whether what I experienced with stream entry was stream entry depends on which definition of stream entry you accept. If your definition of stream entry. And so, for example, I had a Tibetan Lama whose definition of stream entry is you sit down on the cushion. For 20 minutes, you have a cessation. When you come out of the cessation, you experience bodhicitta directly. A a, a light comes out of your heart and touches every living being in the entire universe. And at that moment, you see that you are going to save them. You are going to become an enlightened being who saves them, right? This is his experience, and I know that he's had stream entry. Like it's very clear to me from listening to the way he talks about things that he's had stream entry. Like it's not a question in my mind. But uh, but the way he describes it is a way that that I would not describe it. That's not what happened for me. That wasn't my experience at all. And yet. There are so many things about my experience that were that were common to his. He describes something that, that in, th- in the Tibetan tradition it's called chuchuk, the experience of of uh, dependent arising, which he says is something that occurs before stream entry. Um, and what you what happens is that you see an object and you realize that the object is just a mental construct. You realize that you're seeing the back of a pot and you can't see the back of a pot, for example. This is the example he uses. You see a pot right? and you realize that in your mind there's this perfect pot and in the back of the pot there is metal, right? but you can't see that. So you don't know that there's metal there. You don't know what's there. That's entirely a construct. And so, so this is his definition of Chuchok, the, the, the experience of, of, of seeing dependent arising. I had a very similar experience after what I call my stream entry experience after not before. Um, and it was, uh, it was profoundly cool. Like it was just one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, but it wasn't exactly what he described. So, so if I were to have a conversation with him and say, Hey, gu- hey, guess guess what, Geshe, Michael, I had stream entry. He's going to be like, well, no, you didn't, because you didn't have this thing coming out of your chest, and you didn't have, like, you know, y- your experience wasn't a 20-minute cessation on the cushion. So it's, you know, it, it... go ahead. Okay.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I was going to suggest that we kind of maybe step outside of this, you know, the, the the deep end of the pool a little bit, and this kind of <laughs> deep side pool thing. and
5: Yeah. Well, and, um, let me just say um, that I understand what you're saying, and I think that more of my um, disagreement comes with the way this is manifesting in terms of the usefulness of explaining something to someone. Uh, I think you're, in your explanation, focusing way too much on the result instead of what the actual um, how to get there is. And I don't think that's very useful to. Well,
0: all right, so, so the reason and, why I do that, Sam, is because um, my experience as a practitioner before I had any of this stuff happen was that it was impossible. Nobody could do it. It had only been done once in the last thousand years, right? And so, so I, I have a similar discomfort to you about talking about it, but at the same time, I think if you don't talk about it, then it gives people the impression that it's impossibly difficult.
5: But it's not. Yeah, I mean that's that's not a useful thing either, but I also don't think talking about it so um, extensively in the results, it's like there is a great danger in people thinking that I'm special for some reason or yes. I'm yes. um you know yes. unique, or right. right. It's like and, and Sam I don't
0: the more the more we the more we talk about how how amazing and how exclusive it is, the more that comes
5: right the the yeah i mean i don't mean to say that it's like impossible when i'm so resolute in what exactly um it is for me like i just mean to say that like we need to be useful to people who haven't had that experience yet i don't think it's useful to put myself on some kind of different level than everybody else and give the give, give the intimation that I'm like that this is like some kind of mystical and I think we're on the same page about that. It's just
0: Yeah. I mean I, I think you know what what you're what you may be seeing in me is that I have a tendency to do the exact exact opposite. I've had the experience that suddenly I know all of these people who've had stream entry. Now maybe I'm actually like maybe maybe i'm actually like thinking that they've had stream entry when they haven't and and certainly if i tell them that they've had stream entry when they haven't and they stop practicing that would be a really bad outcome right so i'm a little careful about how i talk about it
5: but well okay so i would i would, I would uh, interpret what you we what you just described as stream entry and that makes it uh karmically you're more likely to encounter other people who've had stream entry and they're going to have a synergistic just effect on your practice yeah. so, that's, so that's, that that's, that's
0: that's tibetan canon so so did you do tibetan buddhism was that your stick uh
5: no i mean i'm just i'm just on tmi i mean so that's funny
0: because that's exactly I'm, what geshe michael would say but like the reason why i'm seeing all these stream entries is because my karma's improved
5: yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like I think that's why they call it stream entry is because suddenly things start aligning and things start yeah. making more and more sense and it's like you're not riding the raft and you're um, uh, you know I think I know what you mean. It's just that I, had to, I had to express. Yeah. Uh, it, no, it's we need to be we need to be a little more we need. To, I think we need to just, just pay attention to uh, the usefulness of what we're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and by the way, in case it's not clear, I really appreciate you doing that because I actually think it's, it's, it's kind of, it's good to have arguments like this because I think that the truth is not something that exists here or exists there, really. And um, to have an argument about it actually helps not only you and I in our experience of, of whatever this is we're experiencing, but also helps the people who are watching the argument as long as they don't think that we're mad at each other about this. I I,
5: I mean, it's like, I think different people have different practices. So they uh find things in a different way. There are multiple practices that lead to stream entry. But I also think that there are practices that lead to um, states that aren't stream entry, that people mistake for stream entry. Uh Um, And I think part of the um, thing that makes it unclear and makes it a gray area is that people have different experiences that led to street entry and therefore they frame things differently yep. and talk about them differently but I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's very ambiguous uh, what the definition of is it is it's in the fetters and I guess those are up to interpretation yeah which, you know it's well, like so, so,
0: Sam let me explain to you the fetter of, uh, of what is it? Uh, belief in, uh, practices, the way that it was, rites and rituals. rites and rituals. Yeah. So, because I think this illustrates it really nicely. The explanation that I heard of this, which I completely disagree with is that it is, uh, the belief that doing something like throwing yourself on a trident would like in a certain special way would, uh, result in you being free of, of suffering for all time. So in other words, it would get you off the wheel of, of karma, right? The wheel of karma, uh, the wheel of karma, The wheel of samsara. Um, yeah, right. That would get rid of samsara because it would, it would kill your body. But because you did it on that special holy trident, it would also eliminate samsara for you. Well, yes. obviously that's bullshit, right? But yeah, I mean is the,
5: the, the practice technique is not <laughs> the insight the insight right. is no matter what technique you do right yeah right it's like a certain class attached of things, to the technique
0: right a certain class of things that people said could and and I mean that is one of the things in the class it's just so ridiculous that it, it's it's a lousy example but a certain class of things are very obviously not practices that will ever work right and you, you
5: see yeah. that right you, you, like, you, you know you know but is, you know, the direction you're going, it doesn't matter the technique, you know. Right. Yeah. You, like,
0: I am not going to get here by, uh, you know, like, it's possible that a mantra practice could work, but definitely a mantra practice where all I do is recite the mantra and I have no idea what it means and I have no intention behind it definitely won't work. Definitely. Right. Yeah, that's an example to me of, of the of, the, of, of the fetter of rites and rituals, that, that you would continue to do a mantra practice because you were told that if you didn't, it would be bad luck or something like that.
5: Yeah, or like thinking that there's one special technique. That yeah. Right, technique. Right, yeah. 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 Um,
4: let, let me chime in a little bit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think there is a, a, a very strong relationship between the, the fetter of doubt and the rites and rituals, because uh-huh. uh, I, I see them as a kind of abstraction of all the possibilities that can happen, uh-huh. because Sometimes, well, the doubt that falls is the doubt that this is real, and that it's possible, and that everything that you you thought was impossible was once in a in a thousand years is actually something quite. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say close, but uh, it's not that far away. And the other the other side of the rites and the rituals is that you get a sense that many, almost all of the things that you thought were important in spirituality in general were actually not important, and they were, and it's as if spirituality, I I don't want to say real spirituality or true spirituality, because because that would be going too far, but it's as if spirituality is actually orthogonal, it's perpendicular to everything you thought it was, Yep. And all of a sudden, you can see that direction, and it's not the same thing as before, so I can relate to what Sam was saying, that you, can, you, you, you have some, some sort of sense of the direction you have to go, and of course, you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily know all the techniques, and you, you can learn from, from different teachers, but now you know, oh, I was walking this way, and it wouldn't get me anywhere, and now I know that there's a way that I can walk towards. So I think that doubt and and, and the attachment to rites and the rituals play together in that, in that sense. You 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 let, let go of the doubt that it, this is real, and at the same time you realize what is real is not what you thought it was. Yeah. Yeah,
0: thank you. Um, I'm going to ask so so nate you've had your hand up longest but you also said something so i'm going to actually ask ralph to go next and then uh i think you and and jan will have to duke it out for who's next after that but
6: go ahead ralph okay can you hear me yeah okay um i i would like to take uh, the conversation <laughs> some some notches down mm-hmm. uh like I've I've been practicing TMI for about an hour a day for over a year now. Uh, before that, I practiced Zen, the the zazen. The, the reason I switched to TMI was uh, I, I live in Japan and I had a a Japanese Zen teacher, and he basically just said like whatever comes up in meditation, just don't touch anything, just don't don't do anything and don't try to do not to do anything anyway. So I, I tried that for about four or five years and I didn't really feel that it got me anywhere. And then I came across TMI and I was like, yes, I'm, I'm a very uh, intellectual kind of person. So I came across TMI and that makes sense. It's all like, wow, that's it. That's it. And I was totally fired for it. And, uh, Well, maybe the time horizon I've set myself is kind of too tight. But after one year of practice, I don't really feel that I'm progressing. Mm
4: -hmm.
6: And um, how can I know whether I'm practicing the right way uh, or how can I know whether I'm practicing the right thing? That, yeah. That's something I, I'd like to know. And I, I, su- I suspect I may have ADD. I'm, I'm not diagnosed, but maybe that also plays a little bit uh, in there. Yeah. So how, how can I diagnose myself in uh, my, my practice uh, in yeah. terms of w- whether I'm moving in the right direction, regardless of, of the, the practice I'm doing?
0: Yeah. So that question is actually the core of TMI, right? TMI is all about learning how to diagnose where you are and then know what to do based on where you are. So the first question that I would ask you, so, so what you do is, is you sit down and you try to do the technique, whatever technique it is for the stage that you think you're at, right? Yeah. So for example, suppose you think you're at stage two, right? You would sit down and you would try to follow the breath. You might do counting and then you would just see what happens right? What happens? Does do, does my attention stay on the breath? Now, for you, as somebody who's been doing Zen for five years, I would be willing to bet that what happens is your attention stays on the breath. Maybe some distractions come up, but you don't lose the breath. Would that be accurate?
6: No. <laughs> no? Like, it It, it, it depends on, on the day. And um, yeah, it, it pretty much depends on, on the day, I'd mm-hmm. say. And then the, okay. the, there's something like, on, on one hand, uh, but like my understanding of meditation is that first you have to train your attention and then uh, uh-huh. as a next step then once you've developed like stable attention you can actually have a look at what's going on and uh-huh. then understand like what what what's really going on and uh-huh. so i'm i'm kind of like i feel i'm i'm stuck between trying to M- create something which is uh, trying uh-huh. to c- create um, uh, how you say that the conditions to develop stable attention on the one hand and on the other hand i find very appealing uh for example in in teaching saying it's not about trying to uh manipulate like your breath or your yeah. being or whatever. That's, that's the core of the problem, trying to change
4: uh-huh.
6: reality as it is at the moment. And TMI, maybe it's only in the first stages, to, to somehow tries to, to change how things are. And uh-huh. I, I, feel, I feel both are true. And
0: uh, <laughs> No, what you just quoted Adyashanti right. saying is perfect. That's exactly right. And and that is actually, I think, the essence of TMI practice. But let me ask you this. Um, do you do any kind of physical activity like uh, skiing or playing piano or anything like that? Um, like I, I, riding a bicycle?
6: I, I, no, I, I uh, play, I'm trying to play the, the Japanese bamboo flute.
0: Oh, excellent. Okay. So, so when you're trying to play the Japanese, this is the shakuhachi? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. For one of those. Um, Yeah. So so when you're trying to do that, um, how do you make yourself play the play play the correct note?
6: <laughs> yeah. <they're laughs> right. Yeah. So, like so I, I I I have to show up. Yeah. That's it. And I I I realized uh, that I can think about it as much as I want to. In the end, I just have to let the process unfold. But mm-hmm. it it but i have but, I, I, I sorry but i have a very clear idea of uh what the whole thing is supposed to sound like Yes. so the, the kind of the, the feedback so i i immediately right. know whether i'm on track or not
0: yes yeah, so so you blow a note let's say and yeah. then you hear what what yes. happened, and then yeah. you change what you did based on what you hear right in in a way
6: yeah. yeah yeah
0: and, and this actually kind of, you know, it's it's a very physical thing. So, so you don't even necessarily think about it. You might just like move your finger around a little bit or change the way your breath goes or something like that uh, without really conceptualizing what you're doing. But nevertheless, there is a feedback loop, as you said. The same is true of TMI. So um, so in TMI, the, the challenge you have is that you don't have the ear, right? You don't have this, this natural ability hmm. To, yeah. to know, oh, I'm playing this right. You haven't heard like a bunch of other people play it because you can't hear someone else meditate. So you yeah. don't know how to compare like your meditation with their meditation. So how exactly. do you do that? That's what introspective awareness is. Yeah. Introspective awareness is that ability to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, I don't know if you I'm gonna share a blog post with you. I, I, I kind of feel bad about sharing blog posts because it's like go read this other thing that you've you've already read a million things. Um but I've,
6: I've read some of your blog posts and okay, they're very helpful.
0: Yeah. Um so so that's talking about the feedback loop. But what you want to know is what are you looking for? So 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 for you, what what you need to tell us is when you sit down on the cushion. Mm. You have some intention. Presumably, if it's TMI, your intention is to follow, is to put your attention on the breath, yeah, and to have it remain on the breath for the duration of the sit, right? Yeah. So, yeah. what actually happens?
6: Uh, like I, uh, the the intention I said is to to have a a vivid experience of the breath, mm-hmm. and if that's not the case, to come back swiftly. Okay. And, so uh, so what happens? Well, sometimes, sometimes it works Mm -hmm. and sometimes it it doesn't.
0: Okay. So you don't have reproducibility.
6: Not, not really. No. Yeah. Okay. So, so when, when it doesn't work, Hmm. what happens? Sooner or later I realize that it doesn't work.
0: Mm -hmm.
6: Yeah. So, um,
0: now, when it's not working, can we talk a little bit about the way in which it's not working? Um, so, so there's a couple of different ways it could be not working. One is you sit there and you have the, your intention to, put the, to have your attention on the breath. Mm-hmm. And you sit for a while and your attention is on the breath because, you know, it works, right? Your it, intentions work. Um, but then after a while, something changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and either... Uh, you just start thinking about something else and you kind of forget that you were meditating or yeah. you're, you're, you you're think about some, so you start thinking about something else, but it's kind of like a, a, a side, like the breath is still there on the side.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, like you know that you're going to go back to the breath eventually, but right now you're thinking about this other thing or maybe you're on the breath, but this other thing really wants to be thought about. And so it's kind of, it's on the side. Mm. Is it one of those? Which, which one of those would it
4: be?
6: Um, what happens often is that I can see my mind kind of sliding over the raw sensations of the breath and kind of like going in in into dreamland. so uh, it, it, it it feels okay. like the, the raw sensations of the breath are, are being used and then overlaid with some kind of cG which has nothing to do with the breath, but the the breath seems to, to trigger like the the mind activity or I'm thinking about something completely off.
0: Okay. And when you're doing the second one, is the breath still there? Or is it gone?
6: When I, uh, when the mind wanders, you mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. When you're thinking, when you're thinking about something that's got nothing to do with the breath, is the breath still like over here or is it just gone?
6: it's it's usually going. but what happens often is that like f- it feels as if the situation is switched it's not so much that the thinking is on the periphery it, I, I feel like the, the the breath very often is at the periphery
0: okay so that means that that means that you're having gross distraction mm-hmm so that's not mind wandering okay okay so this is so that's really interesting now, so uh, the other thing that you were talking about where you have, uh, you're, you're following the breath and the breath starts to get like a little bit trippy, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. that Chuladasa describes as hypnagogia. So mm-hmm. that is a, that is a symptom of dullness,
6: mm-hmm.
0: which isn't super surprising. Um, this uh, dullness is actually, you know, you, it sounds really bad, right? But actually dullness is evidence that your practice is going well. It means that your attention is very stable. Mm-hmm. And when your tension is very stable, uh, often what happens is that your mind is like, "Wow, it's so quiet. Why did I just go to sleep?" And it's mm. actually a natural function of your mind. When when, yeah. when when your mind is at rest, when it's not doing anything, there's a tendency mm. to fall asleep. Mm. So, um, so those are your those are your obstacles to work with. And this is actually like a classic stage four thing. Stage four is this weird stage, like a lot of the stages, you've got like one thing that you're trying to do. Right. Uh, but stage four isn't like that. Stage four, you've got two things you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. One thing you're trying to do is you're trying not to be distracted. Yeah. And the other thing you're trying to do is you're trying not to be dull. Hmm. So uh, so stage two, uh, stage four tends to be like this thing. I, I describe it as like you're sitting in a car, but you let go of the steering wheel. And so mm-hmm. it's like the steering wheel is just like going, you're all over the road. You're still on the hmm. road. You're kind of all over the road. Hmm. Um, because like you know one minute you're like steering over in the direction of distraction and then you correct for that and suddenly you're steering over in the direction of dullness and then maybe you come out of dullness and you get distracted again so it's what what's going on is that is that you're kind of playing with the mental energy there right so um for the for the distraction part the practice that you would probably i would suggest that you do you're mm-hmm. you're probably already doing sort of the intentional part of the practice correctly mm. But the Mm -hmm. thing that you might be missing is when you notice that you've become distracted. Yeah. uh, What do you do? What intention do you set then? And so if, if you're experiencing gross distraction, which it sounds like you are, Mm
1: -hmm. then
0: the way that you address that is to start noticing the subtle distraction that was the seed of the gross distraction before it becomes Mm -hmm. the gross distraction. So when you notice that, um, that you're in gross distraction. You, so you have this like, whoa, oh yeah, here I am. I'm in gross distraction. All right, I am going to try to notice the subtle distraction that becomes the, right. the next gross
6: distraction. Yeah. To, okay. to, to catch it earlier on. Yes,
0: exactly. All so right. that's, the, that's the skill that you're trying to develop at this point. Yeah. The other side is it seems like you have good enough introspective awareness about dullness that you can tell when it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this experience that you're, you're following the breath and suddenly the breath just gets kind of like trippy. So mm-hmm. when you notice the breath getting trippy, that is a very clear indication that you're in dullness. And it's actually mm-hmm. good early indication that you're in dullness. So it's great that you're having that experience and not the experience of like, you know, the Zen lurch, they call it, right? You're falling asleep. Right. So yeah. This is probably because you did Zen for five years, right? <laughs> now you know how to not fall asleep in meditation.
6: This, this is a great du- the Zen Lurch actually is something, yeah, now talking about it, I realized that's something I've over- overcome in, in TMI. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so progress.
5: So, and I,
6: um, yeah. I, I had an, another question, like, because I found it really difficult to to tell whether I'm progressing or not, I uh, I bought myself a, a Muse. Ah. And uh, so, and uh, just, just kind of to, to get some kind of, objective data and my, my, my question is what do you guys think about this for stage three or four like
5: ralph i have an opinion on that and it's a wrong yeah. opinion sure. um <laughs> i think that is totally useless garbage isn't right. anyone right and that's just entertaining your intellectual mind and it's fucking useless. <laughs> so
6: you, you, you got any, any su- supporting examples, reasons? evidence?
5: So I've been okay, so I want to say that the practice, the results of the practice are reduced suffering. If, if you are experiencing less suffering than when you started, your practice is working. And Ted did a very good job of describing the technique with stage four, which you can do better than anybody else I know, and I have problems. And that's all great. It's really simple. You just do the practice, and if you're suffering less, you're doing it right. And the less that you can think about the practice, the better. If you're thinking about the practice and not doing the practice, that's not useful. It's doing the practice that's useful. So it's, it's more like, like, just uh, basically shut up and do it and see what happens, you know, like.
6: Man, dude, mellow, mellow out, man. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm
5: passionate about I'm this. Sam
0: has
5: found his passion here. <laughs> yeah. I so see I mean, people falling into this I'm, trap I'm, and, I'm, and I gotta say something.
6: Yeah. I, I, I don't use any feedback with it. So my, my question basically is a kind of like, uh, I, I use it from time to time and I look at the data after mm-hmm. uh, the set is over. So my, my question basically is, if the, the data it gives about calm, being calm, if that uh, translates to some degree to uh, the, the skills uh, I'm trying to develop at my stage. So, so about yes. the between the I'm sure
5: things. you're getting data that does correspond to a certain state. Mm. Um, so, do you, can you notice that you're calm while you're calm? Can you, can you have yeah, experience yeah. and know that you're calm?
6: Uh-huh. Yeah, like often the, uh, the results I, I get in the readings uh, is more or less how I felt during the meditation.
5: Okay, so it's just basically confirming the thing that you already knew through direct experience.
6: Yeah. But, okay. but, but because I, I can look at it and then look at the data, I, I find it easier, kind of like uh, to, to, like, it, it's a kind of confirmation.
5: Okay, so has so, the data ever not agreed with your direct experience? Pardon? Is the data that you get from the music? Ever so, with your experience?
6: Sometimes that's the question. Like uh, uh, sometimes when I do the, the, the body scanning technique, it seems to be slightly off. So maybe it uh, uh, thinks that the attention in body scanning is something like mind wandering or, or what have you. So uh,
0: it's interesting you mentioned that you're doing body scanning. Um, do you feel like that's effective for you?
6: i have tried it several times, and w- when I'm alert it's uh, it, 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 it seems to be okay mm-hmm. but uh mm-hmm. that that's not not my my main practice. I, I just tried it because I felt like I'm, my practice isn't going anywhere, so I yeah. just thought I might give it a, a try
0: so um I think that uh, I'm going to sort of half agree and half disagree with what Sam just said. Um, I think that it is actually useful to, uh, to track what's going on. But mm-hmm. what I would suggest you do rather than using the, the, the Muse, because I think the problem with the Muse is that it's probably going to read dullness as calm. And so that's not that useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would, and, and by the way, uh, Jeffrey Martin uh, did a bunch of experiments with the Muse and decided it was useless also. So uh, he collected a lot of actual, you know, like detailed data uh, from a bunch of participants in a study. So, so I don't know if you would say it was completely useless, but it basically wasn't that useful. Um, so, so what I would suggest you do instead is, uh, just keep a journal, just Mm -hmm. write down like what happened today in practice and, um, you know, what was I trying to do? Uh, how did that go? Uh, what things happened that I wasn't expecting to happen? Uh, did I do the things that I should be doing? Like, did I look for subtle distractions? Um, the other thing I wanted to mention about, uh, dullness is, uh, when you notice that you have dullness, uh, check your awareness to make sure your awareness is broad. Um, Mm -hmm. understand that, that stuff that's happening in awareness is not a distraction. It's just happening in awareness and that's okay. You don't need to make that not happen. Um, and there's a tendency for meditators to think that anything that's happening in awareness is something that should be ignored. But, but it's, it's, that's actually not useful. Uh, yeah. if, you, if you just go through the stages, there you'll, there'll be a point in stage six where you're ignoring subtle distractions. But at that point, you have a much clearer idea of what a subtle distraction is, and so you know yeah. what to ignore. Whereas right now, if you try to ignore what you think are subtle distractions, you might well be shutting down awareness. So... So do that correction. So anyway, in your journal, just like, you know, write down, like, this is what happened today in my practice. Um, Here are the things that I think I need to work on in my next practice. And then the next day, you pick up the journal, you read what you wrote yesterday, or Mm -hmm. if you're practicing multiple times a day, you know, you get the idea. Uh, You read what you wrote last practice, and then you do your practice, and then you journal again, and you just keep doing that. And that's a really great way to collect data, because the data that you need is what's happening in here, what's Mm -hmm. happening inside, not... Uh, you know, so the physiological stuff, I mean, if you, if you land in Jhana, you might find some really interesting blips in the physiology that have nothing to do with, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, it might register as like very excited, uh, when in fact, that's a really great result. So, so it's really, it's more important to, to learn, to, to see what's going on in, inside. Um, anyway, uh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Let's let some other people talk. We've got uh, Sam, has... thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Sam. Thanks. Thank you, Ted. You're welcome. So uh, uh, there were a couple of questions a while back in the uh, in the chat. I don't know, uh, Sean. Do you feel like you need your question answered still, or or no? I, I feel like you followed up on it. <laughs> Good enough. All right. So uh, I think it's down to Jan and Nate. And Jan, you've you've been on, you've asked more questions on call. So I'm going to let Nate go first.
2: <laughs> oh, my, mine isn't super urgent. So Jan, if you have something urgent, you can go ahead. But, but if not, I'll, I'll go.
0: I think we just had a fun discussion.
2: <laughs> go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, so I think I could use some advice for okay. our practice. And um, ba- basically it's, Without going into too much history, um, once I got, like, uh, some more insights, especially in Stage 7, and I'd even say, like, early Stage 8, um, so there were, like, a lot of interesting, like, uh, the, the most interesting ones were, like, emptiness and sort of, like, no self, and it, I, I do sort of agree with Sam that, like, I, I didn't have a uh, Magapala, but... I I do sort of agree when you see like the no self fix, like you have an insight into that sort of like, oh, everything shatters. Like you can't really go back into seeing things the old way. You could like, oh, pray and pretend like it didn't happen or like, uh, that's not true. But like somewhere in the back of your mind, it's like, ah, that's, there there ain't no fooling this one. But, um, yep. but anyway, like, so once that happened, um, I just like, I, I guess like I just had a lot more purifications coming out for a while and there were sort of like bigger ones and bigger chunks and they sort of just like, uh, they sort of turned my life upside down a little bit. And then, so like once those sort of subsided, like I sort of realized there's like more things in the background, like that I weren't sure if they were purifications or not, or if they've been there all along, but I was just like not sensitive to them at all. And yeah. so the, they're like sensations mainly in, I would say like the, what I call the psoas muscles, the hip, um, near somewhere near the solar plexus and the, the chest. And of course, there's like other PT-like things where it happens in your face. And, but I, those don't have too much of an emotional content in them. The thing that puzzles me is really just more like uh, my abdomen and places around there. Like part of me is questioning, is that just PT and the unpleasantness that comes with that and should I ignore it or should I actually attend to it? Because when I do attend to it, it feels there is some emotional content in them, although I never really get images. It, it's sort of like, it's, it's very hard to describe it, but it's like the physical sensations are definitely some type of emotion like anxiety or uh-huh. some type of uh, nostalgia or some, some longing. And yeah. there, there's no images or memories that come up with that. But once in a while there is a, an image that pops over and then they don't really seem that related. And I just found it interesting, but yeah, that, that's sort of, uh, I don't know. And Oh, by the way, like if I attend to them, I'm not able to s- sustain like, um, that level of, uh, Stability of attention. It's I would say like more stage four stage five ish and things are very murky
0: That's interesting. So 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 they they appear to you when you're when you're doing the stage seven practice or the stage eight practice And then if you shift your attention
2: to them the practice collapses a little bit Oh, okay. So sorry, um, I was in stage seven eight when I had those insights uh-huh. um after those like when purifications are very violent no, there's no sustaining like that level yeah, yeah. Um, um yeah but let's say if now once those subsided i can like uh it, it sort of depends on the day some days i'm like stage six some days i go up to like higher stage seven uh-huh. and uh, depends if i attend to them or not but i do feel like they're sort of holding me back in some way
5: uh-huh.
2: and so i do attend to them I yeah.
0: I mean, so I, I suspect that there are several people here that can, that can speak to that. And Sam would be one of them. Um, and I actually, it's funny. I had the exact same thing that you're describing in meditation yesterday morning. And I was like, what the hell are these feelings in my abdomen? I don't know what these are. Like I, I, I know what, I know what the feelings here are. I know what the feelings here are but I don't know what the feelings here are. What's going on with this? So so I'm actually in the same boat. I don't really know. I think, I, I personally think it's fruitful to, to. Uh, this is called, uh, Chuladaso would describe it as investigating. I think it's fruitful to investigate, but that's just my personal belief. I mean, Sam, do, 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 Gilbert, do you guys- I got a few
5: thoughts. Um, so it only comes up when you're sitting, right?
2: Well, so um, not necessarily. Um, if I sit in the morning, like uh, especially like so if i lie down and meditate like these feelings don't come up that much if i sit and meditate there's more of that and uh, especially if i sit upright there's more of that while this is like if i slouch there's less of that and um if i meditate in the morning it can carry out throughout the day and it waxes and wanes throughout the day and even so like i always meditate in the morning so i don't know what happens if i don't do that Go by my day. I suspect they will come up and
5: down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would put these in a simple category of purifications, um, and probably the more energetic purification that happens in stage seven with less emotional content. Uh, that's what it seems like is happening here. Um, uh, it sounds like you had a so. For, uh, from people I've talked to that have the no self insight, sometimes there can be. A, Sort of uh, a, turning away of the mind because it's afraid or something, um, and that can lead to a period of where you kind of have to be patient because the there's certain resistances coming up that you can't do anything about. You, you really can't do anything about it. Uh, these are the kind of things that you just have to like wait out and keep doing the practice and eventually they resolve themselves. Um, but if you like, I would say don't give too much attention to that. because if they're becoming a distraction and you, you have some story around what they are and what they mean, that's not gonna be very useful. Um, I would say if you're in stage four, do the stage four practices. If you're in stage seven, uh, treat, the, you know, treat them as a distraction um, you can do uh, certain physical practices, like qigong, is good for working with energetic blockages and things like that. Um, but um, I hope that's useful.
2: Oh yeah, no, that that totally is, and like I've definitely tried to investigate and play with it in different ways. Like I can use it as a samatha object. I can use it as a vipassana object. Like I can look at the sensations and um, if I really focus on the suffering aspect of it, like after a while it can, you can sort of dissolve the suffering aspect. And
5: what's left is just like pure vibrations that are like lower.
2: Yeah. That's very good.
5: That's that's what you want to, that's that's good. Um, And I wouldn't pay too, like um, after, after you have the, um, well, I mean after a certain point in your practice and you were previously at a higher stage, it's, it's almost like, uh, I think there's a certain point where um, it doesn't matter what's happening on the cushion. It really doesn't matter. Um, it just, it's almost just a matter of waiting it out and having faith that things are going to resolve. And it's really not, it's not important um, after a certain point. You've already had the, you've already penetrated the object, right, um, clearly. Um, and you're still able to do that. Um, so it'll, it'll resolve, um, meta can, help. Meta can be really uh, powerful for um, smoothing things out. And the thing is, I'll just leave you with this. You can't do anything about it. You can't do anything. You are powerless over this. Okay? So don't even try to, don't, don't even try to believe that you have any power to it to change it because you don't. Um, When these unconscious things come up, all you can do is set wholesome intentions, and those wholesome intentions eventually uh, resolve the unconscious thing. You can't do anything about it directly. Um, Yeah, yeah. We know this, right?
2: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think uh, it's this is very interesting. It's like uh, in TMI, actually, in the I think it's the first interlude or the intro somewhere. It's like. You can't really do anything about it you just sort of set the intention and let things unfold and later on you sort of see that you're not even the one setting the intention right but um,
5: yeah you see through the intention itself and it's like damn um but i mean you you you've seen it so you have the faith just keep playing those attentions and eventually uh things will smooth out all right thanks
2: yeah and by the way like uh do meta and meta is useful yeah i love it it's a great practice a very good karma uh, that it <laughs> so how do you see this pathwise then so it's like an inside of like no self and then you have like more purifications and then um,
5: my honest opinion about uh, you know i don't like to uh you know be giving a what I think about somebody's path attainment is not is not very useful, um, but if I had to guess, I would say that um, what you described was A and P, and there's definitely the no self insight, but it hasn't uh, matured enough, um, and there's still purifications that have to happen. But that, that insight doesn't go away. I, mean,
2: I, I I also have my my version of the answer. Um, I had the same insight like a year ago, and when that happened, like especially no self, it was like the first few days it was like, oh man, oh man that's it's crazy, it's like very liberating and very fun, and after those few days like faded like the the glow faded, like uh things start like the purifications start like jumping on like crazy, and everything went pretty crazy and um actually a few months ago. I think that was when the purifications finally subsided a little bit and that's when the same insight like it's almost it's not a replay but it's like I could tell it's like a similar one that came yeah. out again uh-huh. and this time my mind was like more prepared for it and with this insight like certain I'd say like certain suffering things that really like caused me to suffer just like sort of dropped but in terms of the insight uh knowledges of insight I definitely say it's uh yeah, somewhere in the Dukhananas and like cycling between Dukhananas and equanimity. I don't think I've ever had a Magapala. Yeah. yeah. So if, if uh, the Burmese maps, like uh, for them, stream entry is going through that one cycle in in that. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not going to go too many too much into the details, but that's my understanding.
5: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's definitely past A and P. Definitely real insight there, um, and. It's still developing, and I would have no worries whatsoever about where, where you're going. Uh, this is going to lead to stream entry eventually. If it hasn't already, uh, if it's not stream entry, it will be stream entry. Um, and I think you'll know for sure, and you won't have any doubt in your mind when stream entry has occurred. Um, but I see nothing wrong with where that's going, and yeah. Cool. Thanks.
0: You you guys might be amused uh, to to know the so the Tibetan the, the way the Tibetan Buddhists talk about this process is that you have stream entry and then uh, so they're, they're they they talk about the five paths. There's the path of uh, uh, accumulation, the path of oh no, sorry, the path of preparation, the path of accumulation, the path of seeing, which is which is stream entry. And then after that is is uh gomlam which is sometimes translated as the path of meditation but what the way they actually describe it is that it's the process of investigating all of the stuff that you can now see because you had the path of seeing so it's the process of like digging in and and ripping out all of the garbage and at the end of the path of preparation sorry at the end of of gomlam at the end of the path of, of habituation is buddhahood so so they don't actually talk about the four paths Buddhahood. They do talk about the, the, the 10 Bodhisattva Bhumis and they do say that you're You reach the same level as an Arhat at the eighth Bhumi, but, um, but basically go is all the way from the moment that you have that that realization of no self or emptiness or whatever, all the way through until Buddhahood and there aren't any special events that occur in between those two things.
5: Oh Yeah, um, I'm yeah. I would say is like I've talked to people who have had the no self insight but it was clearly the NP because they uh, went straight into the new canals after that so I think it's definitely possible to have the no self insight early on and um, that'll make every that'll make all the other insights that will make it all come together kind of uh, easier to digest basically um, so it's like you if like the, the level of insight that a person has directly before stream entry and directly after stream entry is basically the same, right? Like you accumulate the insight and then it all like, boom, lights on, that's how it all comes. And that's what, I don't know, that's just my view of how it happens. Um, I don't think that you go from total Uh, worldling with no insight to stream enter with one event, you know, it's like Could happen Yeah,
0: I mean I I think I think it's generally generally what you're saying is true, but it's we we definitely know of cases where where people have had that happen. So, you know, it's just it's it's rare. a couple things. We're we're pretty close to the to the hour and a half mark. So uh, if anybody has any last words, now would be the time to have them. Uh, Sam, I wanted to mention your audio is still really sucking. Um, I'm not <laughs> if you could like investigate why your audio sucks so badly, because it's it's good to be able to hear you clearly.
5: <laughs> yeah, I keep. I mean, it's so good if you I'm can't. Not sure, I'm not sure what is wrong with it because I did <laughs> the audio test. Um, it told me it was good. So I don't know.
0: Well, it's it's it almost sounds like the the software is doing echo suppression wrong, so which, you know, I don't know. You might try just just using headphones, but I think you tried that before and it wasn't good. So, you know, yeah. if you want to try and debug that sometime, drop me a line and I'll see if I can uh, help you with it. Okay. I was actually in Boston last night. I should have dropped in and tried to help you, but
5: I was actually not here last night because I got home from a interview in Seattle. I've traveling. Oh um cool would have been
0: cool to me oh well so uh last words or is everybody good
4: Either
2: um those. yes if maybe i don't know if sam if you have time or if you wanna um uh if you want to do it if uh can we talk after this is done or i can stay on. yeah yeah okay. okay can i also well, stick around I, I find this interesting yeah
5: um, I uh, do you guys by, want like, to uh, noon, but I can, I can definitely stick around for a little bit. Do you That's guys it. want
0: me to continue to record or should I stop that?
5: You
2: can stop it.
0: Okay. All right. Have fun. I'm going to take off. Thanks, Ted. Yep. Thanks, Good Dad. you. See you yeah.